Hello and welcome to the Tofugu Podcast. My name is Michael. My name is Koichi. And today we're talking to Zach Davison, a translator and folklorist and folklore researcher of Japanese folklore. Hello, Zach. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing I don't good ignore too. people's kind <laughs> questions. How are you, Zach Davison? So I'm good. Um, let me just introduce myself a little bit and tell you about me. Um, so as I said, I'm a translator. Primarily, I am currently a manga translator. Takes Ooh. up a large part of my work as well as a writer on folklore. I ran the website hyakumanogotari.com for many years, although as my professional career, career has picked up, it has been sadly neglected. And I don't think I've posted on it for quite some time, but it still um, is a nice internet repository of a lot of my research that I've done. I actually got my um, I got my master's degree in Hiroshima, and I did my master's thesis on Japanese ghosts, and I was really wow. into studying yokai. Yeah, and I had I had like I had all this research and nothing to do with it, so I just started randomly posting it on the internet, and that's sort of how my career and story began. Yeah, and you you picked a a, a keyword that everyone searches for, which is hyakumonogatari. <laughs> so you know, one of the big keywords on Google. How, how many monogatari do you have on there? Uh, you know, I actually when I when I got my hundredth post, you just stopped. and I made my. No, yeah, I didn't. Was the I, I, All the ghosts I came celebrated to um, with a special ghost called the Al Andan, which is the ghost that's supposed to be summoned at the end of a uh, Hyakumonogatari. So that was my what? celebratory hundredth post. Wait, oh, yeah. so Hyakumonogatari, that's like an actual thing? Oh, yeah. You don't know what that is? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't so know about ghosts. They're spooky, and I don't like. <laughs> I don't like hearing ghost stories. Yeah. Go well, ahead. you'll Sorry. love this this <laughs> podcast then, Koichi. Uh, so almost all. Yokai stories come from a game that was played during the Edo period, which mm. is called Hyaku Monogatari, and it means 100 stories. And basically, um, it was a parlor game, so you would invite a bunch of your friends over, and you would light 100 candles, and everyone would take turns telling a spooky story or a strange tale that they knew. And what? as you told a story, you would put out one candle, and so the room got slowly and slowly darker as each person told a story. And like the rumor was is that it was actually an evocation ritual. And so when you put out the last candle, this you were supposed to be summoning this ghost, and it was like... People were rarely brave enough to actually douse the last candle. They'd get down to like the last three, and they, you know, they'd call it quits because they were too scared by then to actually go all the way with the game. Hmm. Well, and I don't know if you've ever lit a candle before, but I don't think candles last that long. How how are they telling a hundred stories? Well, yeah, like most, yo most yokai stories are very short. Really? Like if you actually look at old Edo period ghost stories, they're because they're often like they're no more than three, four, five lines or something because they're really yeah, they're not really like a story per se. They're often like, like you know, I was walking from home from work the <laughs> other day, and I swear to God I saw this dog behind me, but when I turned around, <laughs> nothing was there, you know? Or like that could be the extent of the story. So, they're very short. So they're like spooky tweets. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. Then you, and then you extinguish a candle. That's a great idea for a Twitter account. Just doing like yeah. spooky Edo era tweets. So, so any anyone can make up a yokai story. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but the part of the fun of the Hyakumonogatari is that they, were, you know, they're like campfire tales, right? They're all supposed mm -hmm. to be true. 
Um, and so they're also, and they're usually like stuff that you happened or stuff that you heard or something like that. Like when you told a story, it, it there was this thing in that where they had, um, it's this great phrase that they call the stink of literature and anything that had the stink of literature didn't make for a good story because they wanted it to be real. And so if it was like this really elegant story, it would have sucked. What they really wanted was like, you know, oh, you know, my wife was, was like having this dream and she was screaming and I woke her up and she said that like, you know, like there was this thing at the end of our bed or something like, like that, that makes for a good story. Something that makes, gives you a little chill down your spine. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So nothing like, so once there was this man and he was a great king and he yeah, had no, you, seven wives and that kind of stuff is like, yeah, not no, a you good ghost story. Yeah. Not a good, not a good story. For okay. a good time. Too long. You have, the, you have the stink of literature about you. Oh no. I need to wash, wash it off. <laughs> that stink of literature. Too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was hugely popular. Like they used to have this. Um, there was like several bars. There was one in uh, Tokyo in particular that was super famous. Like they constantly what? had a game going, and so oh, people man. would just drop by at any time. And um, yeah, it's uh, Izumi Kyoka is one of Edo's period's great mystery writers, and it was him. And there was a there was a few other writers at the time that all attended this same session that was incredibly spooky. And so they've told uh, stories about it, and it's it's kind of legendary as the the spookiest game ever played when this stranger wandered in off the street and started telling this terrible story and then he died mid-sentence oh my gosh that, so like three seconds in is what you're saying. Uh, no, no, it, was, it was really long like he kept going and going and going and like what? um yeah like several of the people that attended have written about the the epic presentation oh man <laughs> please please tell me this bar still exists and they're still telling spooky stories to each other Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, when I was in, in Japan and I told everyone, like, it was always fun because you'd go into, like, your local bar and, like, because ghosts are such a thing in Japan, you know, you just yeah. tell people, it's like, I'm interested in ghosts and, like, everyone's got a ghost story to tell. <laughs> oh, man, I feel like I don't have any ghost stories. Yeah. I didn't know that it was, like, such a thing. Like, is that a thing for most, like, Japanese people in Japanese life? Like, oh, I've got, you know, a few ghost stories up my sleeve. Well, yeah, I mean, like, ghosts are, are not real. Like, most, to most people in, in Japan, you know, like, ghosts are just a normal part of the everyday life. Like, you know, the idea of, like, do you believe in ghosts is usually kind of an odd question for Japanese people. I mean, one of their national holidays every year is the Ghost Festival, where all the ghosts yeah, appear, mm -hmm. you know, Obon. You know, they set out lanterns, they prepare food. I mean, you know, like, the fact that you interact with the dead is just, it's, it's a normal part of, of your day-to-day -day life. Hmm. What what kind of ways uh, do they interact like day to day? Uh, I think, you know, I mean, aside from the Festival of Obon, which is obviously the largest one, but you'll just hear, I mean, there's a lot of what I guess we would consider to be superstitions. Um, but, in, mm, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, but superstition is almost kind of a, a rude word because it, it um, I don't know, it puts down someone else's belief by uh, belittling it. Like a good example of that, that was after the, um, after the tsunami, and this was kind of something I write about this in my book, Yuri, and um, it was other people written about it as well. Is that when the uh, when the tsunami hit, there was you know obviously a huge loss of life, which was followed up with a huge amount of ghost activity, and so you know a lot of people were being haunted by people whose spirits had been killed in the tsunami, and so the the government and some local uh, temples set up emergency exorcism huts that you could go to for first aid, you know, like you could go to the, for spiritual aid, just like if you needed a pair of shoes or a bottle of water, um, they had 
priests there to help tend to your dead as well. And that was considered to be um, not at all strange, perfectly normal and reasonable thing to have. Um, the prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, actually had to have uh, an exorcism at his house because he was being haunted. And nobody <laughs> thought, you know, anything other than that was a perfectly normal and reasonable thing for a head of state to ask for, for is to have an exorcism because you're being haunted. Wait, can you tell me more about this? I want to know uh, more I about mean, Shinzo Abe and his, and his ghost. Yeah, I'm very interested in You know, he said he was he had a ghost and he brought in an exorcist and they cleaned it. And it's really no more different. I mean, that that's that's the beginning and the end of the story. You know, it barely made the news oh, because it was just such a normal occurrence. I'm going to I'm going to look this up later. It's like yeah. the, the ghost of a declining yeah. birth rate or something. Yeah. Or the ghost of Abe <laughs> three arrows ghosts. <laughs> yeah, something like but that. I mean, I know, That's really it, cool. He had a haunted mansion. Pretty normal. Like my wife is, uh, my wife Miyuki is always really famous for what they call her Raycon, which is her ability to like sense ghosts. And so like even here in Seattle, some of her friends use her as like a little ghost inspector. Like say they're going to buy a house or something. They bring over, you know, the regular person to check the walls and check the water and check the electricity. And then they invite her over to make sure that the place isn't haunted. Nice. And no one, no one bats an eye at that. It's, it's just, once again, a perfectly reasonable request. So, and I live with it, so I don't really think it's weird either. Okay. So, so you believe in ghosts? I, I believe in, I, I like to use the term that um, I'm agnostic about ghosts in that um, I kind of believe mm -hmm. that there's a, you know, from everything I've lived in my life and what I've studied, I think that, that there's a much weirder world and i think that we're able to just accept so like you know i mean do i i guess i believe that there's there's more to the world than we necessarily know i mean every culture on earth at every single time and everywhere in history has had some sort of belief in ghosts i mean it is there there is nowhere ever on the history of earth that has never had a belief in ghosts and it seems very um egotistical and presumptuous just to say that they were all wrong you know, every single one of them was entirely wrong forever and ever and ever, you know, so I don't know. But then not, also, I don't I don't feel like I'm not one of those people who's like, yes, absolutely. I think that there's, you know, there's more to the world than we know what that is and what you want to place that name on it. Um, I don't know. It could be like a flatland situation where it's slight intrusions from another dimension that appear into ours and we can't really cognitively explain them. So, you know, or it could be. Um, you know, like the, uh, I forget exactly what the word of it, but there's a particular sound that gives you a feeling of presence. I mean, there's many different explanations for ghosts, but at the end of the day, they're still all ghosts. Yeah, until we find out they're time <laughs> they, travelers. They could be time like, they coming could be, in. Yeah, they could be whatever it is. But yeah, I certainly allow for the yeah. existence of it. I've, you know, I lived in a haunted apartment, you know, I've got a a wife who has spirit sensing abilities and, and I did a lot of studying on it and all the studying you do when you really dive into this stuff, you're like, wow, it just seems so weird to just say that all of human history has just been completely and utterly wrong. So I, I got to go back now to your yeah. haunted apartment that you okay. brought up. What, tell us a little bit about so, that. Uh, when you like, one of the other things about Japan is that if your apartment, apartment is haunted, it has to be, um, officially on the listing that is like, oh, that's right oh this and was in japan discount, this haunted huh? apartment yeah you get a big discount nice. on the rent which is um 
no security deposits. That's one of the things my wife and I were particularly looking for is we wanted, like we were on the, on the cheap and we were trying to save some money. So we were looking for a place that had no security deposit and the rent was super cheap. And we went in there and the guy hemmed it hot and, you know, finally showed us this place. And, um, you know, it was, it was a haunted apartment, which meant it was cheap and it was a really freaky place. Like you would go inside and there was like, there was very famously a door in the wall, that went to absolutely nowhere and the landlord was just like oh by the way never open that door and um hmm. we've you know i've seen enough horror movies that i'm like when someone tells you to never open the door um you never open the door so we hung like a tapestry over it to try and you hide didn't the open the door no of course not what? Like, See, oh, that's man. like you're at the many movies i love horror movies and how many have you seen where they're like don't go into the basement they're like oh i'm gonna go in the basement you know i mean come on we as the audience listening to you we want you to have gone back in time and open that door because we want to know i know whereas i just wanted to live in the cheap apartment yeah Um, that's true so yeah yeah. on your last day living there you didn't open the door and just just no no or you could have invited over someone you don't like and be like hey check out this door and i'm gonna leave and (laughs) let me know what happens Door right. remained closed the whole time. Oh man, there there was a there, there there was a time where I I was almost convinced that my apartment was haunted. It was uh, all of a sudden my dog started like crying and like looking up at the at the ceiling and just like freaking out nonstop while we were inside the apartment, and that went on for about a week. And mm-hmm. then uh, the 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 manager, the maintenance people, they they switched out all my fire alarms, and and then my dog was fine. So obviously the ghosts were just inside the fire alarms, and that's the there you uh, go. that's probably what yeah. happened. Yeah, but I was I was definitely like starting to like talk to the talk to the air and be like, hey, get out of here, please, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please stop messing up my <laughs> so dog. There's like brain. a certain point where you're just like mentally so destroyed by mm-hmm. a crying dog for a week long that you just oh, start totally. talking to the yeah, sky. No. Yeah. Oh, I'd be, yeah, I'd be into it. I'd be yelling at it. I'd be like, hey, get out of here. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we had all sorts of stuff like that in our haunted apartment. Like, we would hear, yeah. like, pounding in the walls and, you know, like, just crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, Man. yeah. But you get used to it after a while. You're just, like, sitting there and, like, the, it was always in, like, this one spot in the kitchen. And you're, like, sitting there, like, bong, bong, bong. And, of course, it's a, it's an outside wall, you know, that's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, man. Yeah, you're just like, all right, fine. So you kind of just got used <laughs> to the ghost and... Did you ever talk oh, to yeah. the ghost? You know, no. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like, you know, if, if it's not a bad ghost, it's just a ghost that's hanging out there. Then you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> I can live that with that. Banging on the door, on the yeah. walls. Just yeah. I mean, we had, yeah, we had some, some freaky stuff happen, you know, and there was, there were a few spooky moments, but nothing, you know, nothing particularly cinematic. You know, it's more just about like being somewhere and feeling like this intense feeling that you're not alone in a situation or um there was certainly like like we used to turn our mirrors to the wall every night before we went to bed because um because it was just this freaky sensation that uh that we had that you shouldn't look in a mirror after night and i don't know there's all sorts of good stuff happening yeah plus if you go up get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you pass by a mirror and you're tired and you see yourself in the mirror probably gonna i mean that freaked me out but you didn't open the door. <laughs> never opened the door. I know much. Of, I've like I've disappointed so many people, but I never opened the door. And we oh, were just man. like, nope, not gonna open the door. because yeah. we both love horror movies, you know. So we watched so many of them. We're like, all right, I'm just gonna obey the rules. You would have had such a good monogatari if you if you had opened yeah. that door. There could have been like a whole yokai party going on behind that yeah, door. You could have, you could have like walked in on like twelve kappas, just like yeah. I know. 
doing stuff yeah, with cucumbers. I don't and know. In the spirit of, of Hyako Monogatari, I still get the story, right? Because that's still a good enough story. And oh. like if you were in the Edo period, that would have been a good enough story. You're right. You've got it. You win in there and you never open the door. Ba-bam. The end. Yeah. That's a good story. Okay. You know? I, I I said earlier that I don't have any ghost stories, but I lied because your ghost story reminded me uh-huh. of a story that um didn't happen to me. But when I was yeah. in in Japan on the jet program, there was an ALT who lived you know out in rural uh, Japan, and he had a house. You know most ALTs get an apartment, but he had a whole house, and everyone was like, "Oh, I'm so jealous! You get a whole house." And he's like, "Well, my house is haunted," and oh, yeah. we're like, "No, that's not true." Um, and so the story goes that was passed around and who knows if it's true or not. Um, he was, you know, messing around at his house and he, you know, was a, a car, he had a, he had a friend over cause he was from Australia. He had his Australian friend come over who was a carpenter. It's like, Oh, there's a false wall here. And they, you know, started messing around and they knocked it out and they found a bunch of children's toys in this <laughs> oh, like yeah. empty space. And they were like, let's wall this back up. So they walled it back up. And then, uh, that night they got wow. drunk and the the friend who was staying with him uh, the next morning was like, oh, I had this dream. There was a kid at the end of my bed and he was wearing a kimono. And he's like, oh, how was the kimono wrapped? And somehow I guess he described the way it was wrapped. He's like, oh, that's the way you wrap it when you're dead. That's like Uh. the burial way. (laughs) Um, And they were like, oh, we're scared. And then, you know, time went on. Anyway, that guy left and his successor came. And I I knew her pretty well. She She was a good friend. And she refused to live in the house because it was old. And she's like, I don't like this place. It's weird. So she told the Board of Education about living there. And they got her an apartment. And that house was empty. Two weeks later, the this is true, the house fell down. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, no After she awesome. refused to live in it. So yeah. it was a good idea. She, she didn't live there. It may have just fallen down because it's old. And it could have been the ghost. You like crushed the dreams lonely. of some ghost. And yeah. along with that crush the house as well we, no, we we totally had that too like we had this house and it was like it was a really awesome house and it was like every alt that got posted there like like awesome beyond imagining you know it had a river in the backyard and like oh, you went man. down there and it was super cool but it was this haunted house and so no one in the village wanted to live there so they always stuck the alt there <laughs> yeah um, i think that's pretty common it was our joke year after year where we were like because we didn't tell the new person that their house was haunted and so we just kind of waited and inevitably at some get together or something they would show up and say hey guys you know i think there's something weird about my house and it (laughs) it was awesome because they're like oh you found the ghost (laughs) oh my gosh yeah Yeah, every single year i think for because i was a jet for five years so like for you know for almost five years you know someone was like oh i'm like yep you got the haunted house we all know it that's so cool why do you guys have all these spooky ghost stories i don't know yeah i guess when you go on jet the board of education's like oh what house can we get you the uh, haunted one haunted one the one the that no japanese one. person wants to live in yeah, yeah. Man, like if i was if i had to tell a monogatari at, at one of these bar functions mine would be like i went to the coffee shop and i asked for a pour over but they gave me folgers and then <laughs> And that would be that's it. a good oh, Portland one. Yeah, yeah that is a good know. Portland one. Yeah, it's kind of scary, right? That is pretty yeah. scary, I think. Yeah, and I think I think most people can pull up a, a spooky story somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, most people have the, have a few. I mean, my mother worked at a hospital in ICU unit, and so I've got a ton of stories mm. from her. I bet. Yeah, so I I was saying that my mother worked in the ICU ward in a hospital, and like she has she has so many odd stories. Like there was this one that um. 
there was a, a woman that was in her, she was basically, I mean, she was dying. She was in the intensive care ward and she had a son who had a, I think I had Down syndrome, but they had kept him in a separate room while the mother was being tended to. And the person that was um, there looking after the the son said he just started like, he just started laughing all of a sudden. And the nurse that was with him says like, you know, why, why are you laughing? What's so funny? And he was like, mommy's floating in the corner. She's waving at me. You know, and um, of course, because that's how these things work, it happened at the exact moment that his mother died. Hmm. That's pretty spooky. I just put out it a candle. It is pretty spooky. Yeah. Yeah, so you're right. There's one candle out. And that's a real, st- I mean, that is an absolute true story told to me by my mother who was there when it was happening. So, you know, it's those kind of freaky stories that, you know, I don't know. I I don't know for sure. I'm not going to say, you know, guess ghosts are the here and they are this and, you know. But I just I leave room in my worldview for um, for odd things. Yeah, we 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 have like a few candles out now. We still yeah. have a couple, <laughs> like ninety five more. So if you more. can, you know, like pick up the pace on the, on yeah. the ghost stories. Um, they're all but like, actually, they're I, those IKEA candles, so they're very small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're gonna burn down <laughs> our burn office very fast. Soon. Um, I actually had a quick question before we I, we can uh, do some more ghost stories, no, but. Um, could, yeah, keep keep talking. No way. I don't know. Listening to a game of Yakumanagatari is not as much fun as participating in one. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> the whole fun is the group participation, right? And you get in there and you kind of freak each other out, and like that's that's the good part. Yeah. No I mean, I'm having fun. Robot. Yeah. I mean, I I think if we did it as a call-in show, we need to get some phone lines going. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, caller, you're on the air. Tell us your ghost story. And that's and my Larry just, King yeah. impression. It's so good. It's it's it's. They're definitely not going to do the right thing. <laughs> It'll just be like a weird squishy noise yeah. that we don't want to hear. No, a we would not get good callers. Squishy noise. We get a lot of robot callers too. We do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, but I had a I had a question because I know we're oh, on the nice. the subject of ghosts, of course. And uh-huh. you wrote a book about Yude, right? I did. Yes. But there's also yokai, and there's also obake. Is there a difference between those three categories of Japanese ghosts? I mean, not really. I mean, they're they're just words, you know. They don't have any particular. Well, yure. I mean, yure are the ones that are the most defined. But like the word yokai and the word obakemono, they don't really have any more solid definitions than like the word monster. I mean, people. It's kind of using the word like spooky man and goobly yeah. goblin. I hate goobly goblins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's it is. It is like the word monster, like the word, I mean, the word yokai is even, it's a fairly modern invention. I mean, it didn't exist before, um, actually even like, like late Edo, early Meiji period, it started coming into use. So for most of the time, people just used the word obakemono, you know, and like with pop culture, I think there's been more of a drive to define these terms because then you can make them marketable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's much more of a Western drive. You know, like there's this Western drive to define yokai as Japanese monsters because then you can you can turn that into a sellable product. Yeah, you but can and sell you can, a watch like, or something. Capture, yeah, you can yeah. use watches <laughs> to yeah, capture watch, them. Or, you know, Tell the time. Like a, it's mm-hmm. ghost time. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that like a lot in like... Um, and when they translate titles, like there's the title like Nura Rise of the Yokai Clan. I mean, that's not its title in Japanese. They don't use the word yokai anywhere in the title. You know, that's specifically put in there for Western marketing terms. You yeah. know, I totally like, did watch that because it had the word yokai in it, though. So oh, it yeah. worked. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like how the, it's like how every samurai film is translated into English as like you know something something samurai. Yeah. You know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because. 
because we just have to wedge the word in there. So even though it's not in the original Japanese, but like in Japanese, the word yokai, I mean, it, it can mean, it can mean literally anything. It could be like a strange breeze. It can be like, like Dracula and the Wolfman. Those are yokai, you know, the Loch Ness monster. I mean, really the word yokai just means anything that is unexplainable is the sort of like general definition of yokai. Anything that's sort of odd or weird or you don't have a, an easy explanation for. I thought Tom Cruise was a yokai. This confirms it. <laughs> yeah. He's not. A, he can't explain Tom Cruise. No. No. Um, I'm kind of curious about, so yokai are, like you said, they could be the wind. They could be Dracula. You could basically say anything's yokai. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. At what point did Japanese stories start to take on these things where you get like, uh, I don't know, these, I guess you could say marketable monsters like Kappa or like Nudikabe or like... I mean Different kinds of monsters, like, oh, it has this shape, it does these things, it washes beans in the river, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, and they're very, almost like Pokemon. That came from, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a pretty solid line of evolution of yokai, because, you know, in the, in the original form, you know, back when they were, um, their original name was Amononoke, and they were, they were just kind of like invisible, formless um, energy, like most of Japan. Like most of Japan's early folklore, they didn't actually have the concept of what we would consider to be incarnate deities or incarnate spiritual figures, uh, meaning that they had no bodies. And so it wasn't until they, they had contact with China, and China had this really awesome existent body of folklore and monsters and creatures. And like, like Japan did with much of their things, they just adapted. They just took basically like the nine tailed Fox and like the Kappa and all of that. They just basically took that from China and like wedged it into Japanese folklore. And, um, and even then much of it happened, like, you know, as, as these, these things sort of started to take on identity and personality separate from where they had borrowed them. A lot of it actually was marketing. There was a guy named Toriyama Seiken in the, in the Edo period that created this book called um, uh, Night Parade of a Hundred Demons. And it was basically a catalog of, of all of these yokai that he had heard about. And the book was, um, was a huge success. And so his publishers asked him to make some more, but he was out of yokai. And so he didn't want to, um, stop making the money so he basically just started <laughs> inventing them and so like the first you know one or two volumes of his of his encyclopedia are actually yokai that he's gathered but from then on out they're just pure creations of his imagination made to sell books hmm. so like even back in the edo period they were like let's get a big list of monsters and sell them yeah well he was the first i mean he did the first one and it was just a huge hit so that but yeah he was the foundation of um of the big list of monsters Oh, cool. What what what's some yeah. of the, like the original monsters he heard of, and then what are some of the invented monsters? Well, like like Kappa are, I mean, they're ubiquitous, and they're obviously um, have existed long before his creation. And there's you know some of the other ones like that, like the the Kitsune and Tanuki. Um, they've all been around forever. And then there's a lot of other ones that he created, like Kyokotsu which um, translates as crazy bones, which is this uh, <laughs> yokai from a well. And it's literally just a pun on what you might call someone at the time. It would be like calling someone a knucklehead. <laughs> and so you do a drawing of someone who has an actual knuckle for a head, and then you put it in there, and <laughs> 300 years later, people think that it's a traditional folk belief, right? Yeah. I mean, that, 
that's where a lot of it comes from. A lot of it was just him doing puns or him doing like play on words or, you know, things like that. Gosh, we got to start doing that on Tofugu, just like making yeah. up yokai and then in 300 oh, yeah. years when the, the inter- someone finds yeah. us on the internet, yeah. archive.org. And yo- well, yokai watch in 300 years will have our... Right? Well, I mean, look at, all the, look at all the yokai on yokai watch, right? None of those are, are like, I don't know, people always ask, that's always the funniest question people ask me is like, is this a real yokai? And my answer is always, well, no, because none of them are real. I mean, they're, they're yokai, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're real now. They're re- Maybe if you had yeah. opened that door, you might have seen some. That's right. Yeah. I might have poured them all out. Um, but what they're really trying to ask is, does it have provenance, right? You know, is this a, a yokai with some sort of historical legacy? And like the ones on yokai watch, no, absolutely not. They've been created for the show. Um, same with, you know, just like as much as Pokemon are, you know, they're completely just created for the show and creating new yokai is part of the tradition (laughs) of yokai. So if you're making yokai and you're not making your own, you're kind of missing the point. Okay. So we should be making up our own yokai. If you think about it, the Tofugu is kind of a yokai. That is true. He can't be explained or she can't be explained or it can't be explained. Half tofu. Half tofugu. We did it. Wani Kani, that's, well, that's more of a kaiju, but yeah. that's, that could still be a Can yokai, Can kaiju right? be yokai? Is Godzilla a yokai? Yeah, totally. Anything's a yokai. Like, there's, there's nothing that can Am be a yokai. Am I a yokai? <laughs> oh, my God. That, something that's easily explained is the only thing that can't be uh, a yokai. Okay. But, like, I mean, I think that's like kaiju. Like, people use the word kaiju to explain Godzilla. But that, you know, again, that's an American, or no, I guess a Western thing. That's an English thing. Like, the word kaiju doesn't, doesn't refer specifically to Godzilla monsters, not in Japanese. The All word right. daikaiju does, giant monster. But when you when you take the die away from it and all you have is kaiju, then you're just saying monster. Right. Or so actually, describing what you're saying is strange beast. So right? like Pikachu's a kaiju. Well, I don't. I mean, yeah, he could be, but he's not really. I don't know. I don't really think of P- Pikachu as being monstrous. I mean, strange oh, okay. So beast, this has to be monstrous. Usually, there's some sort of like like animal form, right? Like that's what makes a kaiju a Jew, you know? Because kai is strange, and then Jew means beast. So you have to have some sort of like like a monster, you know, like an animal sort of thing, you know. Okay, so we need like Swamp Thing is a kaiju. Yeah, I don't know. No, Swamp Thing, once again, he can talk. He's a person. Okay, okay. Bigfoot, is he a kaiju? Yeah, totally. Okay, yeah. there we go. Yeah, now, there you even, go. Even the Harry and the yeah. Henderson's Bigfoot? I don't know. Could he talk? I don't know. I don't think I don't so. I remember. He could understand, though, because... Did yeah. John Lithgow, is he kaiju? Yeah, I mean, Godzilla <laughs> can talk sometimes, too, so, you know, it's fine. That's, but that's again, those, you know, these aren't these aren't like it's not science, right? It's folklore <laughs> and pop culture. So, um, but yeah, Zach, we're trying like, oh. to get you to to put these in boxes for us so we can <laughs> no, understand them. People do that to me all the time. Like that's the most common thing. Like I I even belong to like because I love this stuff. So like I belong to some Facebook like you know uh, Godzilla fan clubs and things like that. Nice. And it just drives me crazy to see people that there and have arguments over whether or not this is Kaiju or not, or this is, you know, and it's just like, ah, oh, nerds, you know, I mean, just <laughs> accept the fact that, that these are words with extraordinarily broad definitions. You know, it's like trying to argue if things are aliens or not, you know, it's like, it comes from outer space. Superman's an alien, you know, like, yes, but he's a superhero, but but, you know, is Sherlock Holmes a superhero? I don't know. He doesn't have superpowers. You know, it's like they're very new, like loose terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for Daikaiju, because then it's got to be big. So, yeah. like, Bigfoot can't be a 
kaiju. But I don't know why Americans have adopted the word kaiju so much, but just decided to drop the die. I mean, it's not like the die part is so difficult to say, right? It seems to me like it's just as easy to say die kaiju and say it correctly or more accurately as it is to just say kaiju. But yeah, once, but once that, it hits three syllables, die kaiju. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Die kaiju. Do kaiju. Die. Dur, dur kaiju? Oh man, dick, dick it is kaiju? really hard. We should probably just drop it and just have <laughs> just kaiju. Just drop it, yeah. Oh, you know, been, that's a, that's a load off like, my mind. Ka- kaiju, that's, that was easy. Wow. Yeah, that was much yeah. easier than dur kaiju? Dur kaiju. Oh man. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we got that got that out of the way. That got was that really, out of the way. That was really hard Japanese for me. Language. We, we fixed it. <laughs> um, so do you have any, any favorite yokai? Do you have like... I mean, I'm, I'm kind of itching to hear about these ones I've never heard of because I've heard of like Kappa and Tanuki and stuff. And, um, but I think from your site, I've learned about all these very obscure ones that are really fun. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what's obscure or not. I mean, do I have favorites? I mean, sure. Like I love Kappa. I mean, I have tons and tons of little Kappa toys and stuff. So that's one of my favorites, but it's certainly not obscure at all. But, um, you know, I love like, like Seto Taisho is one of my favorites. The, the plate general, he's awesome. He's like this little this little guy made out of um, broken and discarded crockery who has a, a needle for a sword. Whoa. So uh, oh, yeah, he's one of he's one of my favorites. Is that one, like of one of the made up ones? Well, you know, they're Sounds all like no, a I later mean, edition. <laughs> yeah, no, he's actually pretty early. He comes from the Heian period. Like most of the um, the Tsukumogami, the living objects, they're actually the oldest form of yokai yeah, that there is. Because that, that one, well. That one What's sounds that? like oh, that one sounds like they're like okay, we need to publish a, a 20th book, and he's like, all right, yeah. I, I let me let me look around, and he like looks around his kitchen, and there's some broken plates, yeah. and he's like, uh, plate, uh, and then he looks over, and his wife is sewing, he's like, uh, needle, and then he <laughs> he looks at his cat, and he's like, yeah, uh, living, <laughs> no, no, the, I got uh, it. <laughs> the ensouled objects are actually are actually pretty old, so um, yeah, no, he's pretty rad. Um, like when I do the the wayward the the comic wayward from Image, um, which is my little plug there. That's our yokai comic that everyone should be buying. Um, everyone go buy wayward. Everyone wayward. go buy wayward. That was my overt to, plug. <laughs> <laughs> trying to convince uh, Jim to put Shirime in there, who is eyeball butt, but he's uh, nice. he's definitely not Shirime. Yeah, it's just is that, butt eyes. I assume there's just like an eyeball in someone's butthole. In his butt. Is Wait it, a minute. Why it. would you have to convince anyone to add that to a comic? <laughs> is it looking I mean, yeah, right. in or out? I assume it's out. Looking, like the whole story of the Shirime is that you're walking down the street one night and you see someone in front of you and they lean over, spread their butt cheeks, and they've got an eyeball in there. That's it. We're done. Oh we told the whole story. That's a That's great all story. That for the character. It is. It's a great story. And if they continue that story, they learn how like this eyeball could turn inward and also like save people from prostate cancer and all sorts of other things. <laughs> That's an early, yeah, yeah. See, if we're gonna turn Shidi May into a movie, we need to have a backstory. That's true. We need to have a bunch of side stories to explain oh, where the man. eye came from. <laughs> Nothing can exist nowadays unless it's completely explained. <laughs> there, exactly right. Yeah, there needs to be a podcast that just talks and about a, like one one kaiju yokai yurei whatever per episode. Yeah, and just really fleshes it out. Mm-hmm. But see, like, I don't want to, like, a lot of this stuff, like, I mean, I like studying the history of it for my personal, I think, I think, like, that's what I did with Yaku Monogatari. Well, I think and, we like, just make stuff up. I, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I like studying the history, but I don't really have this desire to over explain anything. I think it's okay to let weird stuff be weird. You know, I don't think that, 
that we have to debate over whether or not something is a kaiju or something is a yokai or something like that. You know, sometimes it's okay to just go like, yeah, creepy, you know, yeah, weird. I don't know. I could and, talk you know, about Shirimei for at least an hour. <laughs> I'm going to start drawing Shirimei on my paper if that's okay with everyone. Do it. I'm going to start yeah. searching for Shirimei with Google safe search off. <laughs> hey, Mei has an entry on my on my website on Hyakumano Guitari, so. So... I have another question about Shirimei <laughs> because I'm drawing him right now. Um, is it just a pair of legs with an ass or is it a whole body? A whole person bending over. Okay, so it's not like an assy McGee situation. No, no, no. <laughs> what? That's the whole thing. That a lot of yokai, like, well, all they really want to do is, is startle you. Like, there's a whole bunch of them where their whole point in life is just, they think it's fun to give you a quick, you know, like, jump scare. And so, you know. That's that's it. He's just a person in a kimono, and he bends over, shows you his butt, and there's an eye there. Yeah. Then okay. From the back. Who's the guy who's person, right? who's the guy that's not letting this into your comic? <laughs> Jim's up. Uh, Can you give Jim, us his phone number, Jim? If you're okay. listening, which I know you are, because you're a big fan of our podcast, um, please put Shidi May in your comic. Or, mm-hmm. or Shidi May in, in Wayward. We're, we're over here looking at pictures of Shidi May on yeah. our phones. Some oh, some yeah, of them I, are like the whole yeah. butt is an eyeball. But I prefer yeah. the one where it's just like there's a there's an eyeball coming out of the anus. Yeah, it needs to. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. just like be out Those of some the good anus ones, too. Wow, this is some clearly good podcasting where we look at pictures and yeah. just laugh about them and not. So everyone listening, go on your phone. Right. Yeah, everyone look at my picture. Here's my picture, Shidi May. Oh man, how's that? Is that's that good? great. It's beautiful. I'm I'm still in the middle of my picture of Shidi May. Zach, are you drawing a Shidi May right now? <laughs> I'm afraid not. I mean, I've drawn plenty in my life, so yeah, I'm I'm down with CD May. <laughs> well, we'll we'll put this in the show notes somehow. I, yeah, I guess so. We'll use we'll use ASCII art. And and to, if to anyone's listening there. to this, please hit the pause button right now. Draw your own Chidi May and send it to <laughs> us on Twitter. We're at Tofugu T O F U G U on Twitter, and yeah. uh, we'll 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 love it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll def we'll definitely probably or, or maybe it. send us like a, a series of pictures where it's just like a normal person standing there, and then we go to the next picture, and then all of a sudden they're bent over and they have an eyeball in their butt. Yeah, do some Yonkoma manga of Shirime, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, and also tweet them at Zach Davison. Yeah, and uh, and the person doing Wayward. Yeah, Jim. Mm-hmm. Jim. Jim. Jim's up. Yeah. Jim, are you yeah, still listening? Jim, have you put Shirimei in the comic yet? He he stopped. He paused when we told him to, and he started drawing Shirimei, and all of a sudden he has a whole a whole uh, edition of just Shirimei comics. Oh, good. I can't wait to see all the Shirimei comics yeah. that are tweeted at us from Jim, who's Maybe listening. All your all your Jim's up, or all your Shirimei pictures to Jim's up. He'll be thrilled. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Know. What's his Twitter handle? Does he have a Twitter? It's just at Jim's up. Okay. Jim's up. J I M. Z-U-B? Yep. Okay. He is getting some Shirimei pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Compliments of Zach Davison. We'll send him one right after this. <laughs> yeah. Just no no explanation. Yeah. Just. And it'll be a week before he realizes why. Oh, yeah. All you have to do is send him one. He'll know He'll know somehow I was involved. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> excellent. Good. So what other uh, things do you want to put in Wayward that you haven't been able to? Uh, not much. I mean, Wayward, Wayward is just... Um, I mean, it's such a really wonderful comic. So, I mean, I'm, I love working on it and I love all the direction it's taken. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's made me really happy to work on it. And that it, it is a comic that I think strikes that perfect balance between, 
you know, respecting the old classic traditions, but not being beholden to them, you know, like, like the kappa were a great example. Like we've got kappa in there, but they don't have the little bowls of water on their head just because it's kind of silly and it makes them not very effective in a fight. So we decided, uh, just amongst ourselves, the kappa eventually evolved out of that. And so now they've got a little protective plate to hold their water in because, Otherwise, it's hard, ah, to, it's hard to put them into a fight scene if everyone can just kick them and have the water spill out, right? It's like a Tupperware yeah. situation. Or yeah. you can bow to them, and then they'll bow back, and their, yeah, their they'll water bow spills back. out. Oh, and it's, yeah. So, you know, now we've got, we've got like, the Tengu in there. My, like, probably my favorite is our Hyakume, which is actually, um, Hyakume is the hundred eyes, and uh, he got designed to look kind of like Clint Eastwood. Um, oh, really? Nice. Sort of, but yeah, he's, he looks awesome. Is he a Clint yeah. Eastwood made out of eyes? No, I mean, he's not really like, he doesn't, like, his, his, his body is all covered. And so imagine, like, just the serape and the hat, you know, hiding his actual body. So, oh, yeah. Oh, man. I bet he has a Shirime yeah. as well. Yeah. Because he's mostly <laughs> eyes. There's probably <laughs> the eyes. one. But yeah, but it's, you know, and, and I really like that. Like, I like stuff that works that, and I've seen some of it done really badly too. You know, I mean, there's, there's not, not everyone can pull off that balance of, of updating and making it, you know, because like, like almost all folklore, like folklore has to evolve in order to stay relevant. If all you ever do with folklore is put it under a little glass and treat it like academia and try to, you know, like, like, um, you know, quantify the stories and it's like, you know, this is a, you know, a Cinderella 7.5 tale or something like that and study it, then it loses its, its purpose because its purpose is to tell stories and stories have to be relevant to the person listening to them. And so they have to change for the modern age. So like you have like Kappa who are, who are playing on their Nintendo DS and another, oh, yeah, another totally. Kappa on their iPhone and. The wife you know, top is got, like, you don't pay attention to me anymore. You're always on your on your iPhone, yeah, looking yeah. at pictures we, of Shidi Mae. <laughs> we've got new, you know, we've got new uh, new yokai people with new yokai powers. Like, there's someone that can interface with um, with the internet, and Whoa. you know, there's people. That, yeah, because you would like one the the word like the word obake, which is one of those things, or obake mono, which is another name for yokai. It literally translates as changing thing, and to me, that's one of the most important terms for yokai because they are constantly changing right they're never in one shape there is no one kappa there is no one yure or there's no one yuki ona or you know like they they've constantly evolved over time there's hundreds and hundreds of stories about all of them and they contradict each other and they're all completely different from each other and they're not beholden to continuity or anything and that's to me that's part of the fun so there's no canon and then george lucas comes and changes the canon and everyone gets (laughs) mad because it's Obake special edition and there's too many CGI <laughs> oh. kappa in there. <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's no yokai canon and like you know, like not Alt and I and like and uh, Michael Foster. I mean we've all had this conversation together. We're just like, you know, the instant someone comes over and like says, like, can you define yokai for me? It's like, no, I can't. I mean that's that's part of the game of yokai is that you can't ever define it. It it lives beyond definition because as soon as you're able to define it, um, then it loses its power, right? Because the word yokai is, you know, it's the undefinable and the, the unknowable. And so all the, all the squidgy parts of the world that you can't label. And so when you come in and start labeling yokai, then you've lost the point. So it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I'm drawing a picture of the kappa. Oh, I gave it tentacles. Oh, I gave it a machine gun. I'm going to draw yeah, that totally. real quick. Okay. How about, how about, how about this one? Have you guys ever thought of making like Obake Obama? Baki Obama? <laughs> no, not at all. 
Not, not in the slightest. But you could make Obake out of anything. Yeah, that'd be, you could. That'd be a good sure, one. Yeah. There's some other presidents that might be pretty, pretty scary as yeah. monsters. Like, like, like a president with really small hands. Yeah. You look at him, you're like, yeah. and he tries to shake your hands, and he pulls you with his tiny hands. <laughs> oh, he's always yeah. Totally that'd be like good. That, that that'd be good. Totally be, uh, that'd be yeah. kind of creepy, actually. Right Maybe he's yeah. the he's the ghost who is haunting Abe's house because he's like i want to shake your hand and shake you all around yeah and Abe's like no stop grabbing my hand <laughs> topical yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. can i have one more yokai please from your your vault from my vault of yokai i'm trying to, yeah i'm trying to think of what's what's an odd one i mean there's like like do you know about the uh the foot washing mansion no, but I want to now. Okay. See, I never know which ones are famous or not, because to me that one's super famous, but that's one of my favorite like weird legends too. And it was another Edo period story where there's this like, you know, this this really high class lady like invites her friend over for tea and they're sitting down and all of a sudden she's like, Oh, look out and this giant filthy foot, like like huge, <laughs> comes stomping down from the roof of the mansion. What? And all the servants run around and start wiping it clean really quick as if it's the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> and then once it's spotless and clean, the foot dis- the foot dis- like goes back up. And the the lady of the house just is like, Oh yes, it happens sometime. We found out early <laughs> that if we didn't clean the foot, it gets mad and it kicks all over the place. And so now whenever oh the foot comes God. down, we know we know we just have to wash out and clean it. And <laughs> I'd like to point out that Jamal is is, is cracking up pretty hard. <laughs> this is a great story. Oh, that, okay. Here, I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to tell you what yokai I do know about so you can just avoid them and give me more of this, like, oh, big oh, foot come down from the ceiling story. The foot-washing mansion is great, too, because, like, if you're... If you're my, I don't know, I always hate to say generation, but, you know, like, if you've ever watched the TV show Monty Python's Flying Circus, there's... Mm-hmm. um. The end of the opening oh, yeah, credits, yeah. and supposedly that was inspired by um, by the story of the foot washing mansion. Really? What? Oh man, that, that's the rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but that is that is the rumor. Yeah, well, we can declare it true because we're podcast that, hosts. Yeah, that might you know, just, yeah, yokai story in its own. But I've heard it and I've decided to believe it because it's a good story. And really, that's what matters the most is whether or not it's a good story, well, not if it's true. When we when we get the the artist on. For an interview, we'll, we'll be sure to ask. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm pretty sure it was Terry Gilliam. I'm pretty sure he's dead. So you might have to do a. Um, Is he? A, what? Terry a, Gilliam died? I think he's alive. Not Terry Gilliam. No, it was. Uh, it was one of the other pythons that did oh. animation. Oh yeah. Um, well, we I know ask. all their names except right now. Apparently. Uh, yeah. Perhaps he's here with us now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Listening. Get up. From the internet the and thus pretend. <laughs> if I came up for it myself. Yeah, yeah, you could write a fake interview. It's like yeah, That's it's right. like it's like creating a yokai. Just yeah. <laughs> you create words. That you can just go on real. <laughs> go on, go on Squarespace and make a website with that fake interview, and then cite it on Wikipedia, and then it becomes fact. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then everything's fine. Yeah, or you know, get it shown on Fox News somehow, and then everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's alternative to <laughs> a fact. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you some yokai that we can avoid. Tanuki, we know that one. Mm-hmm. Kappa, mm-hmm. Tengu's out. Kitsune's out. Oh, here, here's one of my favorite ones. Ready? <laughs> this one's awesome because it is. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's Nebutori, which is the sleeping fatty, and this <laughs> nice. is 
Yeah, this is the story of a, uh, you know, a dapper young man about town goes out to a bar and uh, picks up a, um, a hot lady for the night and brings her home. And when he wakes up, instead of the hot lady, she is a, a giant fat girl. And so he <laughs> says that, that she must have been a yokai called the Nebutori, the sleeping fatty, who, um, <laughs> who fools you at night into believing that she's a hot girl, but it is actually... Um, you know, shows you her true form in the in the morning. Oh man, these Edo period yeah. stories are not PC for <laughs> no, modern not. times. And why should they be? I mean, it was a totally different time. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, you know, and then I mean, Japan still. Like, if you go to Japan nowadays, I mean, they've, they've got their own culture. They're not. They're not. No, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of cultural imperialism. You know, of mm-hmm. of telling other people that they must conform to our morals and our way of talking about things so yeah i mean you know and that's the thing with the okai stories is they're definitely you know they're not they're not meant to uh you know just they're meant to amuse i think it just sounds like the story of a guy who went out and got really really drunk and then his friends were giving him a hard time afterwards and he's like no it was totally a yokai yeah (laughs) what he tricked me what that's that's silly another story um there's a story about a woman so this woman uh she so there was this old myth in the Edo period that women's hair was able to act on its own, and um, there was this woman who was married, and her husband um, her husband was a samurai, and he kept a mistress, which was not particularly unusual for the time. You know, like most samurais kept mistresses, but they were supposed to have a little bit of decorum about it. But he actually was such a jerk that he just housed his mistress right in the next bedroom next to his wife, and so one day he you know he brought home his mistress and he put her in there. And, um, you know, they came in the the following morning. So he went to his bed because, of course, he had his own room. But he comes into the room the following morning to find that his mistress is um, has been killed and strangled in her sleep. And he accuses his wife of doing it. And he says that, oh, it certainly wasn't me. But I bet I know what happened. I bet that in the middle of the night, my jealousy extended to my hair. And my hair crawled off my head, went next door, <laughs> strangled dead and then came back and returned to my head and so i certainly can't be the blame for the actions of my hair and you know of course that's a perfectly rational explanation yeah yeah (laughs) i think i've seen that in a few japanese horror movies with like hair is killing people oh yeah yeah hair is considered to be wild like it's you know it's it's infused with supernatural power women's hair yeah oh there's um there's a Junji Ito comic Uzumaki, one of the one of the episodes because everything's about spirals killing people. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the main character and another girl, their hair starts turning into spirals and somehow kills people. Or sorry, spoiled it for everyone. Spoilers oh, yeah. on that comic. That's a very very old belief. That I mean, those those stories come back from. I mean, they're even far, much further from the Edo period. They come from this book called the Konjaku Monogatari, which is one of the oldest known works of uh, of Japanese literature. And that's uh, that's 12th century stuff. So that's very old. Would would his hair like the first yokai? Do you think? No. Is I mean, there the a first, first yokai? yokai? Yeah. What is the first? The first yokai. What is the proto really- yokai? Proto yokai would really be um, spirits of the dead, right? Like that's the proto yokai, which is yurei. Like almost all Japanese uh, spiritual belief comes from the idea that that whenever you die, your spirit is like infused with supernatural power, and so it kind of like escapes your body and um, and becomes dangerous. And so you have mm. to uh, 
you have to harness and, you know, sort of like gently help this spirit to go over into the afterlife. And that's that's the foundation of this of Japanese spiritualism and most religions, actually, is just the idea of um, of this dangerous spirit in the human body. Somehow we got from there to eyeball and butt. Totally. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it all falls a pretty solid path, right? Because you go from spirit worship to, you know, one of the ways that they tried to tame the spirits was by, you know, giving them houses and that transformed into kami. Yeah. And that, yeah, the, the shrines, Shinto shrines, that's what they are. Uh, uh, Shinto shrines were, were places to house the spirits. And so you would, you would build them houses. And then you had the idea of, um, so worshipped spirits became kami. And then unworshipped spirits, which are wild uh, in the wilderness, became mononoke, which is, um, which is just, you know, this sort of like formless energy. and Sort of like mononoke, like crying out, like, someone worship me so I can calm down. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, I always think of it like, like if you think of fire, like fire contained in a campfire is warm and cooks your food and is a wonderful resource but wildfire is dangerous and can kill you and that's kind of the same way it is with spiritual energy like if it's if it's worshipped and you know contained in a shrine then it's beneficial if it's wild running through nature then it's very dangerous and you know like for most of japanese beliefs like all of that like hurricanes earthquakes you know typhoons all of that was considered to be the wrath of the um of the angry dead that's really cool. Well, actually, I think uh, we're going to take a break real quick because we're going to switch out. I'm going to go pick up my puppy dog. I'm going to pick up Koichi's puppy. My actually, little, My a, little yokai. A Freaky Friday thing might happen where Koichi's soul jumps into another body, and it's probably <laughs> Lindsay Lohan or who else was in that movie? The mom? Kristen? Kristen. Oh, Freaky Friday. Yeah. I don't know about the one from the 70s, just the right, one Kristen, from I'm the 2000s. Do the thing so we're going to take a break. Hand. Um, you're going to hear a music or a commercial. I'm going to put my hand out of the square we'll box be right back. now. And we're going to touch hands and switch. And, and the wrestling. Ready? Oh, we're actually physically tagging out. This podcast is sponsored by Fear. Fear, overriding common sense since 1910. And we're back from the break from that really great commercial that Jamal made. Uh, and we're back with Kristen. Hi, Hi, Kristen. Good to be here. Our translator here at Tofugu. And we're going to continue our conversation with Zach Davison, also a translator, as we've Yay. talked about before. But uh, before we get into some translation stuff, I, I want to hear some more stories. I know that's a little selfish of me, but we've talked about some specific yokai. But do you have any like of those three to five line ghost stories that you could spookify our Friday with? Ah, you know, it's so hard for me to think of like, which, I mean, I've got so many of these different stories, but like, you're like, one of them is, so I was just thinking about, um, of the idea of mermaids, right? So one of my favorite versions of mermaids is the Japanese mermaid, because, um, unlike most Western mermaids, like when you actually think of Japanese mermaids, they, um, First of all, they aren't particularly pretty. Like they're actually kind of grotesque. They're much more of a fish-human hybrid, where you've got like this full fish body and just sort of a um, a human head or maybe some arms. And the key to mermaids is that if you catch one, you can kill it and eat it, and it grants you immortality. So mermaids. This is Japanese them. mermaids yeah, that you Japanese get immortality mermaids. from. Yeah. So uh, 
Japanese mermaid meat is a much sought after thing in Japan or in, you know, in folklore. Wow. So it's not like, you know, they need to get their voice back and marry a prince like you need no, to eat them. No, no, no. Little Mermaid would be uh, slit her throat, put her on the table and everyone gets immortality. Oh, my God. So Maybe yeah. that's why there are no more mermaids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe <laughs> that'll be the Ghibli not. version of the Little Mermaid. We ate them all. Uh, yeah. And, you know, another really interesting yokai, and this is actually one that um, it's interesting because it's one of the few I know that has its origin in an actual person. But there is uh, there's this yokai called the Neko Musume. And uh, we actually, so the cat daughter. So we actually use Neko Musume in, in Wayward. And she's also a character in Shigeru Mizuki's uh, Kitado comic. So she's, she's pretty famous in Japan, as well as a lot of people have heard her in the U.S. But she can be linked back to an Edo period, um, what would be called a freak show probably. But at the time was called a misemono, which is a... Um, they would just say, like, you know, things to look at was basically what it translated to. And they would mm. put on display, like, people with various talents or, you know, things like that. And there was this woman that was supposed to be, that was being displayed that was uh, the Neko Musume, the cat daughter, that they said was half cat and half human. And there's no surviving pictures of her. But apparently the, uh, uh, the illusion was quite surreal. You know, she really looked like an actual cat person. And, you know, she might have had some sort of birth defect or something. I mean, nobody, nobody really knows. It's all gas because all they have is what has come down but people started to tell stories about her that like she ate rats and you know like all this other crazy stuff and that eventually evolved into the mythology of the neko musume that we have nowadays who's like this pretty common character but can be traced back to this actual person oh that's really interesting because i always assumed um that neko musume was like i think there's nekomata is that the one where like the cat kills the lady of the house and takes her over her body no that well there's various you know hey that's a nice segue so my next follow-up book um following yure is going to be the supernatural cats of japan okay um, Ooh, ooh that sounds cool you can go pre-order it on amazon.com right now okay. jump on go pre-order it I do but yeah like so that's actually the next the next book that I'm working on currently I'm actually working on two current two books currently I'm working on one book called yokai stories um, which is basically a collection of illustrated fiction stories about yokai. And then I'm also working on the supernatural cats of Japan. So is that a thing that I said, or did I make that up in a dream that there's a cat <laughs> that takes over? There is, there is a cat who, um, who takes over, uh, whose like mistress was murdered and she drinks her drinks its blood, but that is not a nekomata. A nekomata is a cat that has split tails. And, um, so its tail splits in half. So what you described is a baki neko. Okay. So wait. Yep. So when the a cat's tail splits in half, is that just a regular cat that has a two tails? Does That's it have any really powers or anything? But it's a, but it's like the biggest difference between the baki neko and the neko mata is that the baki neko is a shape changer. Okay. And actually, no. Yeah, the neko mata. Cause there is there are also neko matas about you know stories and the, once again because it's both. Or not science. There's all sorts of different variations of all of these tales you'll find. So, I can't really speak in general. Like, so in general, if it's someone is forming shape, that's a baki neko. If it's something that's in cat form but has a split tail, that's a nekomata. Okay. So, but we'll basically just have to get your book so that we can, <laughs> so we can learn <laughs> more about these cats. You know, buy the books because yeah. you know, always buy the books. Yeah. Everyone buy the book. But that's, I mean, yeah. that the internet loves cats, so that's, that sounds like a great right. great thing to do. Yeah, um, it, should, it should be cool, yeah. 
So you, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about Neko Musume, Shigeru Mizuki, um, who you have translated a lot of his books. And he passed away, was it last year or a year before? Uh, it's almost been two years now, actually. It was a, I think it was in 2015. Yeah. So maybe a year and year change. Yeah, and he was 96, I think? He was 93. 93, okay. I was off by three years. But still, he made it, he made it up there for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit, a little bit about him? Because I feel like he's one of the creators that maybe uh, Americans or Westerners don't know as much about. So, yeah, and which is um, which is really interesting. Like, so when I first went to um, went to Japan, like it was really kind of a shock for me um, because. I was always someone that considered myself fairly Japan savvy before I went, you know, I mean, like, you know, I was, I read the manga and I, you know, read the magazines and all sorts of that. And when I got to Japan, it was like, there was a real Mizuki Shigeru boom going on at the time. And he was just everywhere. And it was so crazy to me that there was someone that was so completely like, he, like, he's as integral to the culture of Japan as like, say, Walt Disney is to the U S and, Think about how strange it would be to have someone talk to you about how, oh, they love American animation so much. They're so into it, but they've never heard of Walt Disney. I mean, it just it's such a huge it was such a huge gap for me. Mm-hmm. And I was just I was so shocked because his stuff was everywhere and he was clearly so important. And it, it just looked so cool. Like Kitaro looked so cool and it was just looked so weird. And I just like wondered who this guy was. So I just I just dove in as much as I could and studied all of it and read up on him. And he was just fascinating. I mean, he's such a fascinating person, you know. I mean, aside from the fact that he fought in World War II, you know, he lost his arm fighting on the Isle of Rabul. And then he comes back and he becomes this manga artist and he's incredibly successful. And he's so multifaceted that he writes like you can't peg him into one box because he's writing like biographies of Hitler at the same time that he's writing these, you know, bizarre stories about these yokai kids. And he's just, there's just so much so that he simply can't be encapsulated. And so when I was in Japan, I, I had decided that, that I needed to, you know, that I needed to basically be his ambassador to the West. And like, I was going to make it my mission. I actually, I had a friend's bar in Osaka that I was drunk one night and stood on the table and I shouted, I'm like, I shall be the one to bring Mizuki Shigeru to the West and this will be my life's mission. And yeah, when I moved back, like I shopped him around forever, but you know, absolutely no one would take me up on the offer. And it was just, you know, like part of it was that he doesn't really fit into what most people considered manga at the time. You know, if it wasn't Sailor Moon and it wasn't Dragon Ball and it wasn't cute and it wasn't something that you could sell easily, then people just weren't willing to take a gamble on it. That's kind of surprising Um, because it's like, hey, do you want this manga about all these crazy monsters? And people are like, no, we'll pass. Now it is because now crazy monsters are are a thing, right? Now you've got like, you know, you've got like, you know, monster monster musume and you've got like like it's become sort of a thing now so like even like at the time no one had ever heard of the word yokai before you know it was just it was really unknown territory and publishers generally don't want to be the first you know you don't want to be the first person to give one give something a shot you want to be like number three you know mm-hmm. um so you know it was like no one wanted to be the first person to to take a gamble and i i totally understand that but i you know i shopped around forever and like some people that were interested um, just were too small, so they couldn't afford the license anyways. Um, and finally, uh, Drawn and Quarterly got a hold of the license for him. And so like 
that was a real shocker for me because after doing it for so long and then seeing a company that I had absolutely no contact with suddenly announce it, it was like, oh my God, I will not be the one to bring music. I've been cut out of the loop, you know? So I just went on uh, Drawn and Quarterly's website and I found their little contact us button and I just wrote this like, you know, this impassioned email saying, hello, I'm Zach Davison. I must be involved. I will be your new translator. <laughs> Here I am. Nice You're to like, meet you. excuse me, you don't know me, but I am the ambassador yeah. you've been waiting for. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's basically what it boiled down. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm your new translator. Um, <laughs> And oh, I man. basically like I, I I took one of their like Can so you... I saw that I had um yeah so like I don't know far to back up but anyways I I saw they had the license one of their books and I, like after I wrote them this email I I saw they like I took one of their one of their titles that they said that it was going to be publishing soon and then I did my own hundred page translation of it and I mailed them the translation and I said here's my translation compare it to whatever you have now, which I've never seen before. So I don't know what it is, but here's what I did. Um, and if you think that mine is better then hire me instead. And so that's essentially how I got the job. Was it kind of like a, you got served moment where like you threw down the translation and they were like, we've never seen anything like this before. Uh, this translation. The power level is so I, high. All I, know, all I know is that they hired me. I mean, so for okay. whatever reason, they did, you know. I mean, they certainly didn't say like, "Oh yes, this is the best ever." They said, "All right, well, you know, we'll give you the job." That's probably um, what they were thinking, though. But they didn't want know. to show I it. You know, I can't. I can't say anything about it because all I know is that is that that was the beginning of what has now been a you know a beautiful friendship, as the thing goes. So you know, now I've worked with John and Quarterly for for so long. It's funny to remember that there was a time that I was completely unknown to them. But yeah, they took a chance on me. I mean, it was my first professional manga translation as well. And that was a show of volume one. Yeah. So it was a Then that won an start. Eisner Award, right? Uh, no, it did not. It got nominated. Um, okay. I, there was, yeah, there was part of my ego that was like, yes, my first ever translation wins an Eisner Award. But unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. um, the next volume and the subsequent volumes won Eisner Awards. But the first volume, which was the first one I ever did, did not win an Eisner. Okay. Well, it was an honor just was to nom be nominated. Oh, yeah. it was. And then it was a bigger <laughs> bigger honor to win later. Yeah, bigger honor. It's, yeah, an honor to be nominated. But winning is definitely the superior honor. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, so... I want to hear a little bit more about specifically I'm trying to lead you towards Kitaro and translating mm -hmm. that because I think that the first Kitaro book came out pretty recently and that was kind of the I was kind of surprised because I'd known about Kitaro for a little while I mean not as long as like uh, I think most people in Japan have known about him but he's kind of like Doraemon where like people who are into anime you're like hey have you heard of this blue cat from the future and they're like no but I've heard of Black Butler and, you know, but Doraemon's like one of the most popular characters ever. And the same is true of Kitoro. He's one of the most popular characters ever. It's kind of like not knowing Mickey Mouse to go back to your Walt Disney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, like Kitaro, I mean, like I dearly loved Kitaro, you know, and so I was super excited at the idea of bringing over Kitaro as well. Um but, you know, I mean, Kitaro is a hard sell, unfortunately, just like just like Doraemon is like Matt Alt uh, translated like 200 volumes of Doraemon, you know, but it's just not as popular as as modern manga. I mean, there's there it's well known that in the modern industry, 
or modern culture or whatever it is that old comics just don't sell as well as new comics. Like there's some companies that like they won't even publish anything earlier than 2013 because it doesn't just doesn't sell very well. Really? Here, yeah. And here I am, you know, trying to convince publishers to sell stuff that's like 60 or 70 years old. Man. So, I guess you know, 2013 I mean, is the, the prime year for yeah. manga? Question mark. No, it's it's just because there's there's not you know the art style is is different you know it's not it's not cute it's not you know it just it is what it is you know people have different tastes and at the end of the day a publisher company is a business you know they they bow to the whims of um of the buying public it's just how it goes yeah uh, they'll never so, understand you know. the soul of an artist those cult publishers. Well, and I no, I mean the publishers are awesome. It's the it's the purchasers that are the problem. The publishers are all for it. You know, it's the those people purchasers that, will it, never understand the soul the of an artist. Exactly, right? The readers determine everything. The readers choose to buy or not buy something, and that determines everything. Everyone else just follows in step with whatever people are um, spending their money on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but we have finally done Kitado, which is really awesome, and it's been like it's been successful it's you know it's made me really happy it's a great series one of my favorite ones to work on and we're doing seven volumes of it it's just super duper fun yeah yeah they're all really fun stories um i bought it at uh rose city comic-con last year i think i had you sign it because i bought it there um but uh did you have any like cool translation stories was kitaro like pretty straightforward to translate or were there any things that like threw you for a loop is like culturally I mean, you know, it's the way it is, like, whenever you're doing a translation, I mean, there's nothing that I've ever done in my life that's why we consider it to be a straightforward translation. I mean, all translations are, they're all a a collaboration between the translator and the artist, right? You know, I mean, you have to take that language and you have to make it interesting and you have to make it, you know, readable and funny and, you know, all these different aspects of it. And that's just the nature of translation is, you know, you're, you're, like someone, someone you described translation that once, and I thought that it was such a great way of doing it. It's like, it's like trying to play a piece of music on an oboe that was originally composed for a piano. And so your mm-hmm. job as the translator is to rescore it as if it were originally composed for an oboe and somehow maintain that same, you know, the same beauty and poetry and intention of the piece, but in a, you know, redo it for an entirely different instrument you know and that's kind of what you do as a translator so i mean i think yeah i think kitaro is super fun to translate because i like it so much but it's certainly you know every book is its own challenge i've never read anything yet where i'm like oh this is really easy to translate i'm certainly not earning my keep here boop 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 you know um and that's also just because translating to me is really it's really like an emotional process like i always say that i don't translate the words of a piece i translate the emotions so Whatever the original Japanese made you feel, it's my job to make the reader make that have that same feeling, but in English. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with um, when people say you're trying to find the voice of the author. A lot of it is just translating the feeling, not oh, necessarily yeah. like what is voice. Yeah. What what do I do with this? I don't understand what it means. It's like no, you just have to read it and say, okay, this is this is how it's reflecting to me. I'm going to somehow make that English. Mm. <laughs> Yep, exactly. And what's, you know, with comics also, it's the voice of the character. Like every mm-hmm. character has got to have their own voice, you know, they can't all sound the same. Otherwise you're not doing a very good job. You can't give them all Brooklyn accents. <laughs> well, I wouldn't translate. give anyone, anyone Brooklyn <laughs> accents, but you know. Then you can't write for Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a Brooklyn <laughs> accent in Yu-Gi-Oh? Joey has a Brooklyn accent. Oh man. Yeah. I've never I'm seen very, Yu-Gi-Oh. 
I'm very anti-accent. Um, that's one of those things I can pontificate about. But Could you pontificate a little bit? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think that writing accents is really hard. And I think that unless you are fluent in that accent yourself, it comes out as a stereotype. And so I, to me, it's, just, it's a danger zone. Like mm-hmm. if I was going to do an Irish accent, it would sound like someone making fun of an Irish person. It wouldn't sound like an Irish accent, you know. I mean, accents are just really difficult to do, and they're really difficult to do in print. Um, yeah, they're very difficult to read a lot of times. Yeah, they are. And a lot of times, like, when they do, like, one of my least favorite things that I've seen people do is attempting to do, um, like, they'll translate, like, the like the Osaka dialect as a southern accent. That always pisses <laughs> me off. Really? What? Yeah, the Osaka dialect is not a, it's not a rural accent. It's an urban no. dialect. Yeah, I was going to say, they and, usually make it like a Brooklyn accent or something like that. Yeah. That's what I've seen at least. It, it depends on, like, if you go back old enough, they used to make it, it was the fashion of the time for a while to make it a southern one. And it's like, but even then, it's like, it usually reads badly, right? I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're really good at doing accents, it usually reads like, like the X-Men, right? Like in the old X-Men, like Chris Claremont used to give all these X-Men these atrocious accents. And so Banshee was walking around, you know, the Irish character oh, no. sounding like, yeah, like the charms guy, you know, and they're just atrocious. And, His daughter, and I, too. They kept it. Siren sounded like that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Is he the one who and, started Gambit saying, like, Mon Ami and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. No, totally, yeah. And every other word out of Colossus' mouth was, Da, Tovarish. You know, I mean... That, and you sound ridiculous unless you are awesome at it. Unless you, unless you, and I just don't have the talent. And I think few people have the talent. Um, so I would never write an actual accent unless I had um, a speaker of that accent that could vet it for me and make sure that it sounded okay. Mm-hmm. That would be a cool thing to talk about is to assign American accents to Japanese dialects. To every it would be an abomination, but it would be really oh, yeah, interesting yeah. to hear opinions. Right, yeah. But I want to go back to something you you hit on uh, just real quick. And this won't be quick because it's a really deep and philosophical topic. Sorry, not sorry. Um, So you talked about like when you feel something and as a translator, you feel like it's your job to uh, convey that feeling. And that's part of finding the voice. But how do you account for like, you know, when you read something, you might feel something different than the way someone else will feel it because, you know, it's art and people take art differently. And some person might say, this reminds me of my, the time my cat died and made me real sad. This person is like, oh, this remind me of the time my cat died and it made me real happy. Like, how do you, well, how I do mean, you justify also- like the differences in people's interpretations well, versus your own? I- I was going to say, I don't justify it. I mean, it's all subjective. So you're all getting it through the lens of me. You know, everything that you read that I translate, every manga you read, every story, it's all my perspective on it. You know, that's all I can do. I don't have the ability to be, to remove my ego from a situation. And so I don't, I just embrace it, you know. Um, I mean, I try as much as possible to capture the original artist's voice and intention, but it is me capturing it. And that's why it's, you know, it's a little bit of a mix. It's never, you know, and that's that's just the nature of translation. And I always tell people, if you really want, like, that purity, well, then learn the language. Because anytime you see it through a translator, you're seeing it through a translator's lens. Mm. There's no one out there that translates and is so completely personalist that there's not a piece of them in there. And, I mean, hey, translators, we get bored, too. We'll stick in private jokes and things like that all the time. Like, I, you know, I stick in, like, 
I make jokes and sound effects all the time. It's one of the places that nobody really cares, and so you, you're able to sneak them in. What are some of your sound jokes? Uh, like, I really like the comic book Hellboy, and so I often will add Mike Mignola's sound effects into Kitaro. Oh, really? Because he has, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, he has these great sound effects. Like, like one of my favorites is when he goes, like, he'll have something go doom, and it's just, like, this big doom. And so, yeah, I'll sneak that into Kitaro. Mm-hmm. I had a few of his... um of his characters like i just had oh i just had this i just translated cutie honey and cutie honey has this um this spider woman called tarantula claw and so her um spider web sounds are flip flip which are spider-man's um Mm -hmm. so yeah i do stuff like that all the time that's That's great you need to get a a snicked in there at some point (laughs) oh yeah yeah but it's stuff that no one will ever i like every now and then i'm like is anyone ever going to notice this i'm like no of course they're not no one's yeah. ever going to notice this but well all the fans but, of the podcast i'm sure will look for it yeah i feel like someday it would be wonderful if we had i don't know just excerpts from different things where the uh the translators or localization team could go in and just like put in annotated notes of like all these cool decisions that they made mm-hmm. though i have to say after i'm done a translation and i go do something else i forget half of the things that i did but mm-hmm. i feel oh, like oh yeah totally um yeah. while do you you're translate? doing it do you translate comics or do you translate no i translate here <laughs> so <laughs> you, it's, so, you it's, say it so excitedly it's educational things yeah it's not as oh, yeah. fun we'll make tofu yeah. comics one day probably i'm just trying to convince um koichi to let let us start doing translations of uh like actual published works so that we can open our own thing and publish our own stuff mm-hmm. that'd be I fun you gotta get into the licensing and everything and that so yeah well oh, you know. i i um my uh old professor has ins at a publisher in japan who does like all the work to figure out get permissions and all that stuff so nice we have like some connections but mm-hmm. See, I, yeah i i love I love the fact that I don't have to deal with any of that. So I love working with publishers where I can mm-hmm. just like send them stuff. I was like, get me this, you know, I want to work on this. And they have to do all the work of actually getting it. So that's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So you have someone that you can just be like, I want pictures of Spider-Man and they'll go get it for you. <laughs> well, not pictures of Spider-Man, but I mean, I, I'll, I'll send like a lot of requests to publishers. Like, I'll be like, hey, I really think we should do, you know, this comic and they'll look into it and they'll say yes or they'll just ignore me or, you know, however it goes. But Sometimes, sometimes they'll, you know, you, you do what's called a pitch, which is basically you just send them a, an idea of something that you think would be successful. That's and cool. nine times out of ten, they're like, that's a 70-year-old comic that no one would ever buy. In fact, I had a publisher like do that once. He's like, you know, he's like, we could publish this and we would sell like exactly two copies of this and one would be to you and you get one free anyways. And I was like, no. <laughs> You'd get both. Yeah. <laughs> Why not both? I'd buy the other one too. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I I would I'm I like a lot of old stuff too, so I'll buy the third yeah. one probably. Don't say probably. We'll buy like I definitely will buy it. We'll buy like eight copies also, for the office. I just yeah, I just edited the third volume of Kitano. It's awesome. It is like so much fun. I think it's one of my favorite ones I ever did. The Great Tanuki War. It's so much fun. Ooh. Oh, that sounds great. You hear well, that? Well, it is great. Listeners, it's the Great Tanuki War. Go buy it when it's out. Go buy it. So we've already said go buy Wayward. Now go buy Kitaro, the Great Tanuki War, because yep. there's probably a lot, a lot of testicles in it, I'm guessing. There, there's less than you would suspect, actually. Oh, Starting man. It. I'll draw in my own. There um, is, however, I believe the that. Yo- there is the Yokaiju, which is one of my favorite uh, monsters that you come up with. Yeah, it's the Yokai Kaiju, so it merged together to be the Yokaiju. That sounds really cool. 
Yeah, Kit- really Kitoro cool. comics are really cool. And I want to end with this question, which I know will never happen, except maybe on Tumblr. But <laughs> since you mentioned Hellboy, which is Dark Horse, and I know Kitaro is withdrawn in quarterly, but you know people at Dark Horse because you translated Opus, I right? Yeah, I'm, I'm good pals with the Dark Horse bunch. That's and one I of my know favorite comp- that Shigeru Mizuki has passed on, but is it possible? Please tell me it's possible. Just, just tell me it is that we can do Kitaro meets Hellboy. Oh yeah, I would. I mean, there's actually a Japanese artist that has done that, uh, done like a fan what? thing of that, and so yeah, it's one of my favorite little. What is bits of, what uh, is URL things. for this? There's no URL. No. No, it's not posted. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, posting stuff is lame, but you know. Wait. So yeah. this happened, but we can't have it. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, Why are we alive? It, this podcast is canceled. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I wish they could, but most Japanese artists are really, um, really unhappy with the idea of someone else doing their their art. It's you know, I've pitched that a few different times. Like I've because I like Western comics, and I like Japanese comics. I've done that more than a few times where I'm like, you know, hey, you know, your comic's great. Maybe we can do like this friend of mine is a real big fan. Maybe we can do some pinups or something like that. And most of the time, the answer is just no because. They don't want someone else doing their art. I mean, oh, everybody gets a what if, right? Yeah. So if we just did a what if. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, the, I mean, the it's, precedent it's is there. Like, like, I'm so impressed that um, that Kodansha recently did the Attack on Titan uh, omnibus where they had Western comic people doing um, mm. Attack on Titans because I know that must have took just a massive amount of um, contract negotiation in the background. Well, your, your comment just spawned another question, so sorry. This is this is the last yeah. question, probably. Sure. Uh, so you mentioned that Japanese artists don't like other people drawing their characters, right? Like most of the time. Yeah, Often, um, yeah, yeah. But there's so much doujinshi that people, you know, don't care about and don't, you know, attack in court. Sure. That's, so, like, that's not, where's that's the not licensed, that's not licensed work, right? That's just fan stuff. So, but there's the fan stuff of Hellboy and Kitaro, and I can't yeah. have it. And I'm so no. mad. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Is it so? Was what this a, a doujinshi? This Hellboy Kitaro comic? I mean, kind of. I mean, doujinshi is just a, you know, it's another one of those words that doesn't have an official meaning. You know, it yeah, was just, it's just a little like fan thing work. that was, yeah, yeah. Zach, please. So I don't know. Help. I don't know if it was ever printed or not. <laughs> Do you have it? Is it in your house right now, and you can send it to me? No. It's never printed. Oh I, at least as far as I know, it's never printed. I just got. Does like, this a little... exist, or are you just trying to make me so sad? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. does exist, and I can't have it. Yeah. And on the other hand, and on the other side, you know, I mean, like, you know, a lot of, you know, is I don't know. It's, there's the business of of comics, and then there's the joy of comics. And I think everyone's all all good and happy to do the joy of it, so long as it doesn't cross over the business <laughs> stuff. You know, as long okay. as you aren't trying to sell it, then. No, or and not even sell it, but like just to recoup your losses. Like if if you took that same picture of Hellboy, like the Hellboy Kitaro thing, and so put it on a T-shirt and tried to sell it, then everyone would be really angry. But if you just sort of have it, then it's not a big deal, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's a cool bit of fan art." Okay, well, I'm gonna just start on my own Kitaro okay. Hellboy. Yeah, dude, comic. I would be totally no. into it. like I, I've I've given I've given Mike Mignola copies of of Kitaro, and you know, so. Yeah, I would I would totally be into it. The hope is there. The hope is there. Okay. 
I know, I know realistically it's not possible, but the hope is always there. I know. And there's always DeviantArt, I guess. That's right. Or there's sneaky stuff like, um, like, uh, Kazu, I can't remember his last name. Kazu, um, he does the comic Amulet, which is one of like his great little kids comic. And he, he's constantly sneaking in homages there to various anime characters that you can see are kind of like thinly disguised versions. So I think you could maybe pull off like a thinly disguised Kitaro. Like Kitaru. <laughs> and Hell Kid. Hell Kid, yep. Yeah, there we go. Okay, best, best it friends. happened. Okay, that's enough to satisfy me for now. I have to leave it at that so I don't go on this, right. down this rabbit hole. But uh, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, totally. No problem. It's always a pleasure. Good to see you at Rose City. Hope to see you again this year. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that we only got through like maybe 10 or 12 of the 100 stories we need to tell. So we'll keep the candles burning in the office. Um, we won't tell the fire marshal. And we'll have you on again to, to talk more about ghosts. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So everyone go check out uh, Zach's book, Yurei, the Japanese Ghost. Um, also check out things he's translated like Kitaro and Showa. You can check him out on Twitter at Zach Davison. It's his just name put together. And Facebook is Hyakumonogatari Kaidankai. So thank you again, Zach. Yes, thank you. Yep, thank you. And right. goodbye. Goodbye. Ghost noises. It's my ghost. Thank you.